Our scripture today comes once again from Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and I'm starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins as we forgive, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not to temptation. Here ends the reading of God's word. Two weeks ago, I preached a sermon talking about prayer where I tried to say that prayer is really, really important. And that when we look at the Bible and what it has to say about prayer, we see prayer is a major part of Jesus' life. Prayer is a major part of the disciples' life. They want Jesus to teach them how to pray. Major role of Paul's life and all through the Old Testament, we track so many prayers. And yet when we look at our prayer lives, what we notice is often it's just grace before meals. We don't have a real dynamic prayer life. And so this source of power and strength that the biblical characters have, we tend to miss out on. Last week, I talked about prayer really specifically. It was just really practical advice about how to get more of a prayer life going. Today, I want to sort of bridge those two sermons. And I want to talk about how you pray and how that changes who you are. How that influences the person that you are. I, have, uh, I gave a couple of models of prayer last week, but I, I want to give you another one here today to help us think about this. There's, there's really three kinds of prayer. There's really three sort of steps in prayer. One is upward prayer. One is inward prayer. And one is outward prayer. Everybody, everybody, everybody point up like this. Upward prayer, point in, inward prayer, point out, outward prayer. Upward prayer, inward prayer, outward prayer. Up, in, out, up, in, out. Trying to keep us a little bit warm today. (laughs) Upward prayer is how the Lord's Prayer starts. Father, hallowed be your name. It's praise to God for who he is and for what he's done. If you go in and read the Psalms, you're going to find these prayers all over the place. Inward prayer is personal reflective prayer. That's confession. That's seeing who you are and where you need to grow. Outward prayer is when you start to pray for the needs. Needs that you have in this world. Needs that other people have in this world. When you start to pray for the world around you. Upward prayer. This praise of God is so much in the Psalms. It's so much a part of what Jewish prayer life was all about. The Jews used to stop and many Jews still do stop and pray multiple times a day. Uh, You see this in the Muslim faith as well, but Christians tend to only do it at meals. Uh, It's likely that this happened because we generally eat during when those prayer times used to be. You used to have morning time prayer, noonday prayer, and evening prayer. And and throughout much much of the world history, they didn't eat three meals a day. You ate one, two meals a day, sometimes eating kind of throughout the day. So our way of eating... It's really pretty relatively new. And so eventually we just started saying grace. And we prayed at the meals because those were the times that reflected there. But Jewish prayer, and even in the Christian 
community, the, what's called the divine hours or the daily office or the liturgy of hours, is the idea that we pray through the Psalms multiple times a day. We stop at morning, noontime, and evening, and sometimes even late in the evening, what's called compline, to pray about what's going on. It's often based on the Psalms, and it's all focused on God. It's all focused on praise for who God is, for uh, His creation, for His work, for His saving uh, work in Jesus Christ. Sometimes the Bible uses the word meditation to talk about this. Uh, For instance, Psalm 1, verse 2. But His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, uh, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 119, verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. All all the time in the Bible, it talks about meditation. But for us in in the West, we have sort of moved away from this idea of meditation. This idea of quieting ourselves and pondering something for long periods of time. It sounds Buddhist to us, but in reality, it's all over the place in the scriptures. There's one big difference, though, between meditation in the Buddhist tradition and meditation in our tradition. In the Buddhist tradition, meditation involves quieting yourself and focusing on nothing. Emptying yourself. But in the Christian tradition, meditation does not go that way. Meditation in the Christian tradition involves focusing on God, pondering and thinking about who God is. And so we don't focus on nothingness. We focus on the ultimate somethingness, if that makes any sense to you. And we don't focus on emptying ourselves. We focus on filling ourselves. Sometimes this is called contemplative prayer. But where we start to think, we start to wonder and pray about who God is. Sometimes That's why the Psalms can be so helpful for us. It can help guide us in that prayer. Imagine prayer starting out like this. You focus on a picture. A picture of Jesus. This is what upward prayer is all about. Focusing on Jesus. Who He is. What He did. What His character is like. We focus, we use our scriptures, we use our psalms, we use the daily office, whatever we use to try to focus our prayers on who God is and what God has done for us. That is upward prayer. That is, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, what the, what the church fathers and what Christians throughout history have found is that this is not very easy to do. I don't know if you've ever tried to meditate or tried to have some silent time. Um, But at my house, I got about a 20 second limit, right? I mean, it's really hard to do. Even if I'm totally silent, if I'm somewhere where there's nobody, my house is totally empty. I don't need extra noises to be distracted because I've got my own brain. Anybody else notice that? My brain can travel. That's why I said last week when you pray, it's really good to have a notebook next to you. Because sometimes when you get quiet, you start remembering stuff that you need to do. And the best thing to do is just write that down immediately. It's hard because we tend to do that. We tend to hustle. And so part of prayer in the Christian tradition is what's called centering prayer. That's when we try to quiet ourselves and focus in on, on what's going on for us. We try to quiet our mind. And the way that the Christians have done that throughout history is through their breathing. 
Now, again, I'm sorry, this sounds very Eastern to you because you've never been exposed to this probably before. But this is very much a part of our tradition. We forget that Christianity was originally an Eastern religion, not a Western religion. And so a lot of our forefathers and foremothers used to do a lot more meditation and a lot more breathing as part of that. Now, I need everybody to sit up real well. Sit up. And what I want you to do is take three nice, deep breaths. Ready? Go. And suddenly in the silence, we all hear the fan up above us. Um, let me ask you a question. This is, this is kind of an important question. When you took three deep breaths, how much did you have to lift your shoulders and your chest to do that? Or how much did you just move your stomach? Real breathing for people actually comes from your stomach. What, what happens physically in your body is you, you open up your stomach with your abdomen. It pulls on your diaphragm and that opens your lungs up. Now what happens in a human body, this happens for animals too. If you have a dog, watch, watch this happen. Have you ever been scared, startled? What happens? You take a deep breath, right? And then you're like out of breath. Do you ever notice you're instantly out of breath if you're scared? It takes your breath away. And, and you're not just panting with your belly. What are you panting with? Your whole chest is bouncing. What your body tends to do when you're anxious is move your breath from your stomach to your chest. It gives you shallow breaths. That way you can run really quickly. You're getting breaths really fast. But what we've found is, and, and there's been studies on this, that have shown that, that if your body does that in anxiety, a lot of people do that now all the time. A lot of people don't ever really breathe with their stomach because they always breathe as if they're stressed. And if you look around at people, don't you think a lot of people walk around pretty stressed? So one of the things the early church would do is they would breathe, really trying to breathe with their stomach. And the best way to do that is just to put your hand on your stomach and try to take deep breaths, but not with your shoulders. Breathe with your stomach. And they would often have prayers they would do while they prayed this. One of them is called the Jesus Prayer. It goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so they would, they would say that again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And often they would do that with their breath. So they would inhale on Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. And then exhale on have mercy on me, a sinner. And they would do that just a little while. What they would find is they'd start to relax. They'd start to focus on something other than the stress in their lives. And it would sort of quiet their mind down for prayer. In fact, um, they would see this as very important for their life. It's as if in doing that prayer, that centering prayer, we acknowledge that we need Jesus like we need to breathe. And by doing that, it focuses us in on the picture. By the way, um, not everyone would do this with their eyes closed. How many of you were taught, when you pray, you fold your hands, you close your eyes? Anybody have trouble closing their eyes? Anybody admit it? Like when I close my eyes, my brain goes everywhere. My brain goes everywhere. And so one of the things I tend to do is I like to pray with my eyes open. I'll tend to look down at a 45 degree angle with my eyes open and rather stare off into space rather than close my eyes and get distracted. See, I think that this, the, the way we breathe, the way we breathe in our chest all the time instead of in our stomach it is a sign of a much bigger problem. A problem that we are just way too anxious and stressed. 
Why do we do that to ourselves? Well, part of the problem is, I believe, there are parts about us that we don't like. Things about our past, things about our history that we don't want to deal with. But part of what happens when you pray is prayer that praises God somehow becomes internal. It shifts. Imagine the picture again. We're thinking about Jesus. We're praying about Jesus. We're reading our scriptures and thinking about who God is and what he's done for us. What I believe starts to happen is the picture becomes a mirror. And so in our prayer life, in our spiritual life, we start to look inward on ourselves. Not through our own eyes, because our own eyes are pretty messed up. But as we focus on Jesus, we start to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. But that's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? Because there might be some things I need to confess that are not in line with the truth of the gospel. There might be some parts of my life that aren't what I would like them to be. There might be some things I don't really want to admit happened in my life. But if you look at the prayer that Jesus taught us, forgive us our sins. Confession is a major part of the scriptures. In fact, go into the Psalms. You read the Psalms of David and he'll start out praising God. But often it leads to confession. Often it leads to, but I am not worthy. How, how could you come to me? The picture becomes a mirror and reflects in on ourselves. So that we start to see ourselves through Jesus' eyes. And then after time, I think it takes a little bit of time. It takes praying not just for longer periods of time, but over the course of our lives. What begins to happen in our prayer life as we focus on Jesus, as we then start to think about ourselves, is that the picture changes again. We still are focused on Jesus, but the Jesus picture that we see starts to become a mirror and reflects to us. And then I believe it starts to become a window. And what we begin to see through the window is the world the way Jesus sees it. Our world, maybe our finances, our marriage, our um, work, our children, our grandchildren, we start to see through the eyes of Jesus. And we start to pray for those things. We start to pray for the needs of other people. But not through our own eyes, based on this view of Christ. Sometimes prayer takes a long time. Sometimes you can pray really fast. I call these arrow prayers. Lord, I need you right now. Lord, I pray for that person right there. And you shoot an arrow up and you get that prayer off. But sometimes you've got to pray about things for a long period of time. The important thing is when you pray for a long period of time, you pray about the same thing over and over again, make sure you're not doing that because it's a lack of trust. Sometimes it's better to pray about things once and just give it to God rather than pray and then take it back and worry about it some more. Lord, handle this. No, wait, I'll handle it. No, you really handle it. I'll handle it. Sometimes you pray about things for a long period of time. I remember my parents praying for my uncle who was not a Christian for a long period of time. And uh, after, I think, 25 years, he finally became a Christian. Prayed for 25 years for that. But one of the things they didn't do is panic as they were praying about that. They trusted that God had it and they just kept bringing it before the Lord. Sometimes fasting can be part of that. Fasting is interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried fasting before. Uh, I had someone tell me one time, well, isn't that a Catholic thing? No, it's a Bible thing. Jesus did. Um, Fasting, normally you stop 
uh, eating something or stop eating altogether for a period of time. Uh, and it works sort of on all three of these levels. One is you're reminded when you're hungry to pray to God. So anytime my tummy growls and I feel that ache, I'm reminded of my need for God and I pray to God. Um, sometimes it's, a, it's an inward prayer. Sometimes it's self-denial. I'm praying about something I need to deal with and I'm wrestling with it before God. Sometimes I'm praying for something in the world and I, I'm just I'm praying for a friend. I'm praying for my marriage. I'm praying for whatever. And I just want that constant reminder of the hunger to keep that before God. But sometimes there are these deeper ways of praying. Notice too... That the Lord's Prayer is not a singular prayer. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It's not a first person singular prayer. It's not an I prayer. It's not a me prayer. It's a we prayer. Your kingdom come, right? We know that part. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Sometimes we need to pray together. I understand Jesus would go to the garden and he would pray by himself, but there is a whole lot of prayer. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them to pray together. We need to pray with one another. I could pray for my marriage, that's one thing. But to pray with my spouse about my marriage is something completely different. I could pray about what's going on in this church, and I can really have, be passionate about this church. But it's another thing for us to pray together as God's people about this church. Now the question that always comes up when we talk about prayer and praying for other people is why God doesn't seem to answer. And I, I actually don't think that's true. I think God always answers. God just sometimes says no. And so the question becomes, why does God say no? Well, first of all, I want to really say that God is not some kind of cosmic vending machine. Okay, You don't just get to put in your dollar fifty, say in Jesus' name, and have God give you what you want. It's not how it works. It's not how it's promised. God is not a vending machine. God is a, relationship being, a relational being that wants to be in relationship with you. Now, my fear, my, my question, whenever we think that God has told us no is I wonder if we are thinking about our prayer correctly. wonder if our prayer really does start with the picture, or if our prayer is really starting with us and where we are. Part of what happens when we pray is the orientation of our lives begins to change. You want to evaluate your prayer life? Is your prayer more me-centered or Christ-centered? The prayers that you make, or are they lunch-centered? That's a whole different, whole different kind of prayer. Are they me-centered or are they Christ-centered? Is your prayer life really focused on Christ? That's the big question. And part of what starts to happen if you pray the way the Bible sets up prayer, you start with the picture and it moves to the mirror and it moves to the window. Is you start to, when you, when you pray for those things, you start to see them through Christ's eyes and not your own. And the questions may become different. Yeah, you may be praying for your marriage, but maybe Jesus is trying to do something in your life. And wants you to change, not just for you to change your spouse. Maybe you're praying for your work and you want something to happen there. But what Christ ultimately wants to do is start to change you so that you are salt and light in that place. But because the prayer started with you, you didn't orient your prayer the way Christ wants to answer it. You limited how Christ could answer that prayer. 
And you got to know because he wanted to do something bigger and you just weren't aware of it. Let me say this in a really strange way, I think. But it's helpful for me and it might be helpful for some of you. One of my dad's favorite books is a little novel called Mr. God, This is Anna. Has anybody read Mr. God, This is Anna? It's a real fun little novel uh, about a little girl who is on the street and uh, gets taken in by this man. It's sort of an Annie kind of story. And uh, the thing about this little girl who comes in off the street is she hasn't been taught to think. And so she thinks very differently. And it's the fun of the book is how, uh, how unique her perspective often is. And, and there's one point at which the man that took her in is teaching her math. Trying to teach her math and math equations. 2 plus 2 equals 4. Uh, 6 minus 2 equals 4. All those kind of families of math problems. And she says, you know what? We, we're doing math backwards. She said, Wait, this, this is not right. This is no fun. If we start with a problem and we say 2 plus 2 equals 4, 2 plus 2 equals, there's only one possible answer. But she said, if we start with the 4, there's all kinds of possibilities. 2 plus 2 equals 4, 3 plus 1 equals 4, 1 plus 3 equals 4, 12 divided by 3 equals 4. All kinds of possibilities open up if you start with the answer and work backwards. Now, I'm not sure that works in math. And as many times as my dad told that story, I still had to learn math. So it didn't work out well for me. But I think the Christian faith is like that. I think we often come to the Bible, we often come to Jesus, and we have a problem and we want an answer. So we try to look through the Bible to get that answer. We try to go to prayer to find the answer. But actually, the Christian faith And particularly for us, prayer this morning works the opposite way. Christian faith is about the four. It's about the answer. The idea is that Jesus is the answer. And we start to relearn the problems based on that answer. So when you're constantly going to God asking for whatever you want, you miss the whole point of the prayer. The point of the prayer is to get to that position of your will be done. So that when I start to approach life's problems, I look at them differently. It really does work in this way. Upward prayer, looking at the picture. Inward prayer, looking at the mirror. And outward prayer, looking through the window. And if it goes any other way, if it starts with me, or if it starts with the people around me, the answer is always going to be warped. Because the perspective is wrong. The real point of the Bible And the real point of prayer is that you change your perspective and you look at the problems differently. So my encouragement to you is to start to try this journey of prayer. Maybe you've never really learned how to do deep prayer. But I got news for you. You were born learning how to eat, cry, and go to the bathroom. Everything else you know, you picked up along the way. You can learn to pray. It takes some work. You might need to read. You might need to ask some questions. But you can learn to pray. And there is a vast richness to be found if you join with the church global, the church historic, on this journey of prayer. Because you will learn more about yourselves and more about your world than you can ever imagine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we start by praising you and thanking you for all that you have done and for who you are. Lord, work in our lives, we pray.
Teach us where our weaknesses are. Teach us how to pray that we may look at our world differently. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.